0: Alright, so I'm going to deal with... The first thing I want to talk about is this. Sometime when we slipped into the 90s... Some of you guys don't remember the 90s. Starting to feel a little older now, but that's alright. When we slipped into the 90s, we're dealing now with the last day revival. And God began to pour out His Spirit in the, in the 80s. I believe 86 when the, the revival began in Argentina. But as we moved and slipped into the 90s... God has began to pour out his spirit in an awesome way all over the world. So I want you guys to please give me your best ear tonight. Please know moving around and try not to um, have to get up very much. It's distracting. I want everybody to hear this tonight. This is important. So lock in. Give me your best ear. But as we're moving into these last days, the Bible says these are going to be perilous times. We know all of that. But at the same time, these are days of great revival. Great revival. How many want great revival? A great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So let me give you some scriptures. So I'm dealing with the last day revival and I'm going to move this into Pentecost. The Bible says in Acts 2 verse 17, Peter said this in the last days, he's quoting from the Old Testament. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Now think about that. Pour out my spirit on all flesh, all people. That's all nations. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And it talks about visions and dreams. So we see that God is going to send a great revival on young people. And that's what it's talking about here, too. I mean, he's going to pour out spirit on all flesh, but it says your sons and daughters will prophesy. There's a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit happening among the youth. Joel 2.23 So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication, and he has poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The former and the latter rain. And what that's talking about is this. There was a former outpouring of the Holy Spirit, with the early church and then God's going to pour out his spirit in an awesome way on the last day church and what God is saying here is this what the early church had that's the well of revival that we're drawing from but God's also going to pour out his spirit in these last days in an awesome way meaning like a double portion we're going to have the former and the latter rain come down on us in this generation Haggai 2, nine. now this is talking about in context Solomon's Temple, then the second temple. Solomon's Temple was destroyed. Later on, they rebuilt the temple. It was inferior. But Haggai and Zechariah, some of these prophets, were sent by God to encourage the people during those times. Now listen to what it says. I believe this is prophetic about the Last Day Revival. Haggai said this, The glory of this latter house will be greater than the former. Don't you think about that. Solomon's Temple was more beautiful outwardly but Haggai said that the actual glory of God the presence of God would be greater in this inferior temple than it was in the former I believe that's prophetic about these last days the glory of God on God's people in these last days will be greater than what the early church knew I believe that the Bible says in Isaiah arise and shine for your light has come the glory of the Lord is seen upon you some people, when you talk about God's glory, some people really don't even know what you're talking about. We're talking about the manifest presence of God. When that manifest presence, which is here now, there's a weight to it. And the Bible talks about the latter glory will be greater than the former. I believe that we're going to see greater dimensions of God's glory before He comes. John 2, verse 10 Jesus remember turned the water to wine and what does it say there it says everyone the man that spoke said everyone brings out the best wine first then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink but you have saved the best till now I believe that Jesus is saving the best outpouring of the Holy Spirit till the end he's saving the best wine till the last Matthew 13, 39 says, The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. That's our Lord speaking. Let me say it one more time. The harvest is when? The end of the age. Who are the harvesters? The angels. God says, In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he said, The end of the age is the harvest. We're going to see the greatest harvest of souls in these last days. They're going to be perilous, dark times in the world, but we are going to see an incredible influx of souls. And if you look at the late 80s into the early 90s, as we begin to move into this last day revival, you see an incredible harvest of souls. I mean, Reinhard Bonnke's ministry, was it 10, 15 million people, I don't know, saved in Africa? You've got the great Brownsville revival here. You've got the Argentine revival. Whole cities were getting saved. Great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Great harvest of souls. That's been going on. I believe the best is yet to come. There's many of these that have gone on before us, and they're still among us. They're incredible people like uh, Ryan Harbanke, Benny Hinn, Rodney Howard Brown, all these people. Amazing men of God. But their mantle, I believe God is going to release an anointing on a generation that there's going to be huge numbers of people that now are bringing in great harvest of souls that it's not just one or two people but i believe god's going to use many people and there's moves of god that are going on that people don't even know about in china there's an underground revival you know what there's there's outpourings of the holy spirit where people are getting daily instructions from the lord they'll wake up and pray in the morning and and they get this instruction from the lord go to this place and talk to this person and so they just simply go down that street, they see the person, they talk to him, they get saved, and there are people are on assignments like this. The end of the age is the harvest, and God is sending forth his angels to make sure the harvest comes in. Revelation nineteen seven. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. The Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. But honestly, I believe there's a difference between the body and the bride. I really do. The body, if you look at when God created man, the body was made out of the dirt, and it seems to be earthly based. But the bride of Christ seems to be heavenly based. I don't think that everybody's going to be ready for the rapture. I'm going to talk about that later. I don't think everybody is making themselves ready. Look what it says. The wedding of the Lamb has come. And what? the bride has made herself ready there's a remnant that's getting ready but there's many that aren't the reason for this great outpouring of the holy spirit is to bring in the harvest but it's also so that we can be made ready for Christ's coming and that's a big part of it the lord is pouring out his spirit in the church to get us ready for his coming he's pouring out his spirit all over all peoples so the harvest will come in But He's also pouring out His Spirit on His people in the church to make us ready for His coming. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, He begins to sanctify us. He begins to clean us up and get all the junk out. Pentecost. After the Passover, the second waving of of the barley sheaf or whatever, there was 50 days counted and Pentecost happened. The Feast of Weeks. Pentecost was the celebration of the first fruits. The early church saw the first fruits. But see, at the end of the year, when they celebrate the last several feasts, it's celebrating a great harvest that's coming in. Which is prophetic. God is about to do some incredible things based on end time prophecy like we've never seen. Things that the early church saw was just the beginning. Jesus told them you'll do greater things than me because I go to the Father and they did but think about this the last day church is going to see even more but I'll tell you this it's not going to happen by human endeavor I've seen how the devil is trying to systematically I've watched him do it in different churches and ministries trying to systematically shut down moves of God There'll be some revival begin to spark up, and you'll see the devil use different people. I've I've watched him do it numbers of times. Systematically, they begin to remove prayer. They begin to remove certain things. They try to control it. Next thing you know, the revival's dead. Satan is trying to resist the revival fire spreading all over the world, but I believe he's not going to be able to stop it but we've got to go after this thing with all of our hearts because the enemy is going to try to resist it and stop this revival not that he can stop it worldwide because he can't but he can try to stop it in individual people's lives and individual churches what births revival is prayer see people say how do we see revival well second Chronicles seven fourteen says if my people will humble themselves number one you got to humble yourself humility is the key to revival number two if my people will what humble themselves and pray a praying Christian is a powerful Christian a praying church is a powerful church prayer has been what has always sparked revival sustained revival prayer is what helps to bring in the harvest and prayer is what defeats the devil People say, well, how do you get victory in spiritual warfare? It's it's through prayer, I'm telling you. Prayer and fasting. So here's the formula. If we'll humble ourselves, if we'll pray, if we'll seek God's face. See, a lot of people get caught up with other things. They get caught up with programs. They get caught up with the busy, busyness of the ministry. They get caught up about putting out too many fires of trouble that's going on. The devil's trying to start. They get caught up with all these different things. But if they'll let the Lord deal with a lot of that stuff and they'll just go after him and seek his face. That's one of the ways the devil's trying to shut down revival is to get people out of prayer and no longer seeking the Lord's face because they're so busy with everything else. If we'll humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, then what's next? turn from our wicked ways see the church has got to repent we talk about the world repenting we want america to repent we want america to repent of things like abortion sexual perversions witchcraft things that are abominations to god that he hates we want them to repent but what about the sin that's in the pew it's got to start in the church God's got a clean house in his house first. And what does the Bible say? Judgment begins in the house of God. And just as this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit has begun to happen in the late 80s and early 90s and we slipped into it, what did you see in the late 80s? You saw God begin to judge his church and clean house. Things started getting exposed. But if we will humble ourselves, if we will pray, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways, he will then, after that, then, he will hear from heaven and heal our land. And our land is not just America here. Our land is our personal walk with God that needs healing sometimes. Our land is our promised land about our family, our lost loved ones. Okay? Our land can be our neighborhood. It's not just when you look at geographically this nation. Yes, that's part of it. But what about your personal promised land? That's the formula for revival. And the early church understood these things. I'm going to talk about Pentecost, the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let me say something right here. After the early church saw great revival satan began to put out the fires of revival about I guess 300 AD somewhere around then and revival fire began to die out you read about how you know the roman catholic church started arising to power and it became more of a state geographic political thing okay ritual based traditions of men and the fires of revival went out and you see it went into what's known as the dark ages and in the dark ages even even the gospel of jesus christ was snuffed out think about all that satan stole from the church at that time pentecost the power souls being saved healings and miracles deliverance of demons the baptism in the holy spirit All of that seemed to die out to the degree that even the clear gospel was snuffed out in the dark ages. And God began in 1517 to bring the Reformation through Martin Luther, who was a German monk. God had raised him up. He was tired of the Catholic Church and what they were preaching. Wrote his 95 thesis. We know the story. Nailed it on the door of Wittenberg. The Great Reformation started splitting off of the Catholic Church, which had no doubt become a cult by this time, and began to preach the gospel again. Salvation through faith in Christ. It's not about works. Amen? It's not about if some organization tells you you're saved or not. It's about being right with Jesus, and that's what he was preaching. Then we see later that God began in um, the late 1800s to restore Pentecost back. And we read about in the Wells revival how God began to pour out His Spirit in such an amazing way and all these people began to get saved in Wells and a Reformation broke out and then that fire jumped on Los Angeles. The Azusa Street revival, William Seymour. What was that revival there? The baptism in the Holy Spirit in tongues. God began to restore back what the devil stole from the church. The baptism in the Holy Spirit and tongues. And then we read later in history, in the 40s, late 30s, 40s, 50s time frame, God began to pour out His Spirit in an awesome way with healings and miracles, signs and wonders. The healing evangelists of that day saw so many miracles. I mean, it was amazing all the time, great healings. I mean, we even have it documented, I've got video footage of Of one lady where cancer fell off of her face into the guy's hands when he's praying for her. I mean, just all kinds of legs growing out. All these miracles. And they got accused of practicing medicine without a license. True story. And so they had to go to court about this. Because miracles were really happening. And so the judge, they sealed off the courtroom. Nobody knows exactly what happened in there per se. But they had all these healing evangelists there. The judge and they had their attorneys there and all of that and the judge brought in sick people and made them pray for them or whatever to see if what they were doing was legitimate or if it was they were trying to practice medicine without a license sufficient to say we don't know exactly the details but they came out of there free with no criminal charges because apparently the judge saw what he needed to see and God started restoring back during that time healings and miracles back to the church but I'm going to tell you that the people of that time in the early 1900's when the Azusa Street revival was raging and and people were being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and they were being clothed with power it was a great revival William Seymour brought out of obscurity lost one of his eyes through polio a one-eyed black man that was in there and basically a glorified barn there was nothing special about the mission that they rented for sure The people came what for the glory they came for revival but while they were going after god and pentecost was breaking out you gotta understand those people that lived during that time to be pentecostal brought a stigma that many of them were persecuted they they actually lost their jobs people would walk on the other side of the road when they saw them coming they were gossiped about they were ostracized in society and they were treated like a bunch of nuts and weirdos but they stayed the course and because of their perseverance now today we have Pentecost and it's not persecuted like that but see they had to blaze a trail Satan fought them tooth and nail in their generation but they were faithful and it was like taking out the sword of the Lord like a machete and they cut through all of that resistance of the devil and they blazed a trail for us today And so what I'm trying to say when I say all of that is this don't take lightly what you have there are other people out there that shed their blood to have what you have. There's other people out there that lost their job. They were persecuted in many, many ways to have what you have today. The people of times past in the, in the you know, 1915, 1925, that time frame, it was not easy to be Pentecostal. They were hated. They were despised. Let's go back and look at the Word of God when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.4 Jesus had died on the cross. No man took his life. He willingly laid it down as a sacrifice. We know the story. When he gave up the ghost, he went down into the lower regions of the earth. He confronted the devil. He took from the devil the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He rose from the dead three days later. He appeared to his disciples in a glorified body. I don't understand this glorified body. We're going to have one, but he could walk through a wall. And you can't tell me it didn't freak him out because it did. Okay, here he comes through the wall. He had holes in his hand, but yet they weren't bleeding. He had a glorified body. And Jesus in this glorified state, he appeared to his disciples. When Jesus began his ministry... He went to the river Jordan, was water baptized, and what the Holy Spirit came upon him in power. So he told the disciples, he said, listen, do not start your ministry right now. You go wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power. Now listen to what he said in Acts 1-4. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? That was straight from the mouth of Jesus. He said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus had, he was raised from the dead, walked through the wall, scared them all, comes in, he says, peace be unto you, don't be afraid, it is I. So they calmed down. Now what did Jesus do? It says in one place at the end of John that he breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. Do you remember that? <sighs> receive the Spirit. All right. They received the Spirit. At the end of, I believe, the book of Luke, it talks about the Lord opening their minds to the Scriptures. In my opinion, this is just my opinion, okay? I think what happened right there is this. They had seen Jesus raised from the dead. They knew the Gospel, and now they really, truly believed. And when Jesus said, receive the Spirit, they were born again right there. I believe that. I believe the Holy Spirit went to live inside them. See, what you've got to understand is this. Not everybody that goes to church is going to go to heaven. I don't care if you you drop dead with a communion wafer in your mouth. That does not mean that you're going to heaven. You can be water baptized and still have the water trickling off you and burning hell. It doesn't matter that you go to church to be saved. That's not going to save you. All these religious things, you can die and be holding a hymnal. In a church robe. And still go to hell. That's not going to save you. What you think, your little church robe and hymnal, that's going to give you some brownie points on judgment day? What is going to save you is going to be being right with God. Jesus said, unless you're born again. Born again means this. When somebody is real, and it's not just saying some little prayer. It is a true experience, a supernatural experience where God comes to live inside of you. See, what happens when somebody is truly born again, Jesus said in, in John 3, 3, unless a man be born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. He will not enter in. So what happens is when somebody is truly converted in Christ and they're born again, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside you. Now, when he comes to live inside you, it's like this. Your physical DNA, you get that from your parents you got your eye color from your parents. you got your height and and the way you walk and everything comes from your parents. But see, when you're born again, the second birth, the DNA of Jesus Christ comes into your spirit. So now it's like God's DNA goes into your spirit, man. And now you begin to hate sin and you begin to love the things of God. Now all of a sudden you're hungry to read the Bible, to pray, go to church. And your friends will think you're weird because you used to. You like to get drunk and high and party and do all this stuff. And now all of a sudden you're like, I don't want to do that anymore. And they don't understand why. But you're different. You're different on the inside. You can't change somebody from the outside in. You've got to let God change them from the inside out. Once God gets in their spirit and they're born again, they're going to begin to be changed from the inside out where their desires change. And see, not everybody that goes to church has had this experience. I don't care if you go to church. I don't care if you go to church religiously. I don't care if you read your Bible. There's, there's people out there that are going to split hell wide open that's read the Bible multiple times. That doesn't save you. It's got to get from here into here. So anyway, when Jesus appeared to them and he breathed on them to receive the Spirit, I believe... That was their born-again experience. The Holy Spirit came into them, and most likely it's when their mind got open to the Scriptures as well. That's just my opinion. Then Jesus was with them, and he said that, wait in Jerusalem for in, in a few days, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. So here's what happens. Luke 24.49, wait in Jerusalem till you're clothed with power. Now I want you to get this and really lay hold of this. This is so important. Because there's people that erroneously teach that once you're saved, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit right then. That is not true. Whenever you get born again, the Spirit of God comes to live in you and He begins to change you. But when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit clothes you in power. And we need that power. I'm going to promise you this. I've seen a lot of things through the ministry, especially under the anointing and the power of God. You see people delivered to demons. I'm going to tell you right now, demons are not afraid of you, but they're afraid of the power of God. Sickness is not going to disappear just because you want it to. It's going to disappear because the power of God killed it and removed it. See, that's what Jesus walked in. He walked in a mighty anointing. Acts 10.38 God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power and He went around doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. But that could only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some churches, bless their heart, they really are the frozen chosen. They really are. It's dry. It's like when when they go to have church, it's like when you used to take those old ice trays out of the freezer and... You know, it's like like God wants to move. Brother Rigamortis, sister, and his wife, sister Rigamortis. And it's the frozen chosen. It's the spiritually dead. It's powerless. And people know when they come, they know that it's the same thing every week. And they wonder why the world isn't hungry for what they got. The world isn't wanting religion. They may may be going to different religions or whatever, experimenting. But really what people want is an encounter with God. And once they really have an encounter with God, they'll never be the same. But the problem is not that the Lord getting to people. The problem is the Lord getting through His people to people. And we've got to let the Lord begin to flow through us and through our services. So the early church, they saw Jesus do all these miracles. Can you imagine, how many of you guys have felt, I have felt this so many times, when somebody prayed for me, laid hands, the power of God hits you? I mean, hard. How many of you guys have felt I have felt that. Can you imagine Jesus laying hands on you back then? Think about it for a minute, what you felt when just one of his servants had prayed for you. There's been times I was out under the power and I could not move for like an hour. And I wanted to move. I couldn't move. Think about that was just a man of God praying for me, one of his servants. Imagine if the Lord himself. And see, the early church walked with the Lord and they saw it. They saw him walk into a city and they would see people that had demon spirits. Those demon spirits freak out, fall on the ground. Those people shake, foam at the mouth, whatever. And Jesus said, out! And they would flee. They saw Jesus go to a dead person. And they have been dead for some time. And they saw that person raised from the dead. They saw Jesus go to sick people all the time and lay his hand on them, pray for them. and All these sick people get totally healed. Lepers, just their skin cleared up. And so when the early church, when Jesus told them, you're going to do greater things than I did, Imagine how long it took them to really wrap their mind around that statement But he said because I go to the father So what's the big deal about him going to the father because what he's going to send the holy spirit And when the holy spirit comes then you're going to do even greater things than I did. That's what jesus said In the early church watch this and so that's why peter and john would go to prayer daily and they saw that crippled man and they reached down and said, you know what? We don't have silver or gold. We don't have money to give you. But what we do have, I'll give you that. And he took him by the hand and said, rise up and walk. Can you can you just imagine those bones cracking? And that, that guy got up right there and his bones were cracking. And here he was, a crippled man from birth, now standing up. Yeah. That's the early church. That's what they walked in. That's supposed to be normal Christianity. But what has happened is for so long, the church has been dead and powerless for so long that people have literally strongholds in their minds. When I talk about strongholds, I'm talking about uh, where Paul said we pull down every stronghold and bring our thoughts obedient to Christ. There's people have mental strongholds where they've accepted the fact that dead Christianity is normal. They've accepted false teachings that that was for those people back then but not today. They've accepted dead... Traditions of men that they come into church and they do the same little social club every week. Sing a couple songs. Have a nice little speech. Everybody goes out to the cracker barrel. And that's all they do. And they've accepted that as normal Christianity and they wonder why the world looks at that and goes, well what's the difference between that and Islam, Buddhism or anything else? What the difference is, is that we know the real God. And what did Paul say? He said, I don't come to you with eloquent words. I come to you in the demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's the key. If the church will get back to the power of God. It's just like, you know, when we've done street evangelism and people have been hit by the power of God on the streets. What are they going to think the next day when they wake up and realize, man, last night I was at the harbor and my eyes opened and I was on the ground when those people prayed for me. And I felt... Something I have never felt for in my life. That felt so good. That must have been God touching me. You see what I'm saying? Now you going out on the streets and you have this mental argument with somebody. They're going to wake up the next day and go, Yeah, I fought with this guy yesterday about what he believes and this and that. That's only going to go so far. But when they experience God's power, His presence, they'll never forget that. And I I love the story when Brother Anthony and these guys prayed for that girl that had that scoliosis and her spine was bent. People were videoing it and that spine straightened right there in front of everybody on video. And times I've seen on video where people's legs grew out. In fact, Melissa's leg grew out on video. And that thing's on YouTube, I believe. Yeah, she's famous. Famous leg growing out video clip. But see, these things stay with you. You know, and it stays with people when they see this. They experience this. All right, let me continue reading. John 14, verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. I will ask of the Father. He will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives in you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live in you or I live. I live. You will also live on that day. You will realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too love them and show myself to them. All this I've spoken while with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Do people wonder why, why they don't understand the Bible? There'll be some college professor, bless their heart, some of their most arrogant people on the planet. My wife works for a and University. Prideful. They think they know everything. They don't. They don't. Okay? And when it comes to the Bible and spiritual things, a lot of them are very ignorant, But they'll be like, well, I've read the Bible numbers of times. You cannot understand the Bible without the Holy Spirit. I don't care what they say. And the reason why they don't get it is because they don't have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, the Holy Spirit, He will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything that I've said to you. We need to be reminded of things that the Lord has taught us. But the Holy Spirit will remind you. John sixteen seven. but verily very truly I say to you it is for your good that I'm going away unless I go away The advocate will not come to you, but if I go he's the counselor I will send him to you when he comes He will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me about righteousness because I go to the father in other words He's here to teach him where you can see me no longer And about judgment because the prince of this world the devil now stands condemned I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. See, that's the difference. People say, how is it that the body of Christ will be sustained in these last days? It is because the Holy Spirit in you will keep you. He will seal you and protect you from deception. There's so much deception. There's so many lies of the enemy. But the Holy Spirit will keep you. He'll guide you into all truth. He will glorify me, Jesus said, because it is from me that he will receive what he has made known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me and he will make it known to you. See, it's the Holy Spirit. He's the one that teaches you all things. He's the one that leads you. He guides you into all truth. He's the one that helps you understand the Bible. God did not have a problem writing the Bible. People have a problem reading it. Let me say that again. God didn't have a problem writing it. People have a problem reading it because you have to have the Holy Spirit to understand it. And people can't even come to Christ without the Holy Spirit drawing them. There has to be a convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Let me talk a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. Revelation 5, 6, Then I saw a lamb looking at it as if he had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. The Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. we talk about the Holy Spirit. See, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit, He is just as much God as the Father or the Son. They're three, but they're one. God created us, mankind, in His image, and we are created body, soul, and spirit. We're three distinct parts, but we're one being. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. He's three distinct parts, but He's one being. The Holy Spirit is described here as the seven spirits of God, but there's not seven Holy Spirits. You have to understand biblical numerology, and the number seven represents perfection. So what it's saying is, is the Holy Spirit is perfect. But he has seven different manifestations. He comes as the spirit of the Lord. He comes as the spirit of wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. He has seven attributes. And when he comes in those seven attributes, he is coming as the seven spirits of God. And I believe that's the same as the spirit of Elijah. So Isaiah 11.2 11, 11, describes the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of the Lord and wisdom, revelation, counsel, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. It breaks all that down. But let me tell you this, in Malachi 4, before Jesus came the first time, John the Baptist was brought on the scene and he had the Spirit of Elijah. He was clothed with, many people believe the mantle he wore was actually the mantle Elijah wore. I don't know. But he had the Spirit of Elijah on him. And when John the Baptist came, what did he do? He preached repentance, and he preached fiery messages. He was a prophet, and he prepared people for the coming of the Lord. Spiritually speaking, high places were brought down. Prideful people were brought down. Spiritually speaking, low places were brought up. People that humbled themselves brought up. The path was made straight. The way was prepared for Christ's first coming. Why is that important? Because the Bible says in Malachi chapter 4, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Before the great, his first coming, and the dreadful, his second coming. The Bible predicts the spirit of Elijah will come again. I believe with all my heart the Holy Spirit is coming on the last day church as the spirit of Elijah. So what's the attributes of the spirit of Elijah? The seven attributes for sure. But it is a prophetic anointing. It is a fiery revival anointing. Did you get that? See, Elijah was used in his day because Israel had backslid away from God. They were worshiping a fallen angel, Baal. They were were practicing witchcraft. They were away from God. Elijah comes on the scene and what? He calls them back to repentance the great showdown at Mount Carmel the prophets of Baal which were shamans they 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 were into witchcraft the occult they were dancing around their little altar cutting themselves shedding blood trying to conjure this spirit of Baal that they prayed to and worship but God had shut that thing down okay and Elijah got up there and was making fun of them and then Elijah said if I'm a man of God and if the God of Israel is truly the God of Israel then fire will come down. And God, like a lightning bolt, struck that, that sacrifice right there with fire It lit that thing. And the people fell down on their face and repented. When the spirit of Elijah comes, it brings repentance of sin. It's where God is cleaning house. He's getting the sin out of his people. He's getting them ready for his coming. That's what Elijah did in his day. And that's what John the Baptist did in his day. And that same fiery anointing is coming on the bride of Christ now to prepare for Christ's second coming. And God is bringing, he's bringing it to pass. But see, people can't see this without the Holy Spirit. They read these scriptures and they cannot see it. They're spiritually blinded to it. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, the God of this age, talked about Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They can't see. I don't think people in the body of Christ many times really realize the severity of spiritual warfare over the lost. They really are in a valley of decision. There's the mountain of God, the government of God, then there's Satan's kingdom, and they're in a valley of decision. And there's such an onslaught from the devil's kingdom. And here here the people of God are crying out to them to turn to Christ. But the Bible says, I believe, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I can't remember the exact verse, but it says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but power. See, the clash that's going on is a clash of power. Not really words, but power. The kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of God, there's a clash there of power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to crush the enemy under our feet and to be able to reach into Satan's camp and start pulling out people. But it's going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why once the early church was baptized in the Holy Spirit, even Philip, who was a byproduct of that, an evangelist, he got saved, powerful ministry, went down to Samaria. How did Philip win Samaria? Jesus had gone before him remember with the woman at the well and then she went and told all of them I met a man that must be the Messiah you know he knew everything about me so Jesus had already prepared the way so to speak in Samaria but when Philip came and preached Christ and him crucified he preached the gospel but he didn't just stick with words only but he went in there and he he said bring out the sick they brought out the sick He prayed for them and they were healed. It says in the Bible that some that had demons, the demons shrieked or whatever and left them. And the people are watching the power of God. They're watching people get healed and delivered and they all began to turn to Christ because of what? Philip's eloquent words and his oratory ability? No. The power of God. And then Peter called for Peter and John and I'm going somewhere with this story after Philip led them to Christ and water baptized them he then sent for the apostles in Jerusalem and Peter and John came when Peter and John came it says they laid hands on the people so that they might receive the Holy Spirit because it says the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon many of them they were only saved but now they were baptized in the Holy Spirit when they laid hands on them Acts chapter 8 I'm going to get to the baptism of the Holy Spirit in just a moment. But hosting revival. There's a constant controversy and opposition to revival. You have to be ready for that. How many knows that the Bible clearly says, in 1 John, I believe, chapter 4, that the Antichrist spirit is already in the world. It's been in the world. When Jesus came as the Christ, Christ is not His last name. Christ is his title. In that culture, they didn't have that. He would have been known as Jesus, Son of Joseph, and all that. But he was he was the Son of God, but he came as the Christ, the Messiah. So what does Christ mean? It means the holy and the anointed one. That's what it means. He was the holy and the anointed one. So an antichrist spirit is an anti-holiness. It hates the preaching of holiness. It hates to see people repent of their sin. Okay, but also it's an anti-anointing spirit it hates the anointing so the people that are the influence of an antichrist spirit are going to be in opposition to the anointing you know what the antichrist spirit is really you'll know it more by this name it's a religious spirit it's a religious spirit A religious spirit is not the Holy Spirit. It is a spirit that is in the kingdom of darkness. It's a dark fallen angel. It's very powerful. But it blankets people's lives and it deceives them into an antichrist mentality. When the Holy Spirit begins to move in great power, they rise up in protest and they hate it. They hate it, they can't stand it. They can't stand tongues, they hate it. They hate people falling down under the power of the God, power of God. They hate someone laughing in church. They hate somebody crying. Anything that has to do with the manifestations and the move of the Holy Spirit, the anointing, they hate it. These are those that spend money, and sometimes good money, to create blogs and websites and everything else just simply to persecute anointed men and women of God that have powerful ministry. You, you would sit back and think, why would somebody go to that much trouble and spend their own money to do it? It's one thing to, you know, but some of them are spending pretty good money to host website domains where they can continually persecute the move of God. They are modern day Pharisees. Jesus' greatest enemies, hear me, it was really not the sinners. Jesus, by and large, the sinners did not have a big problem with it. They really appreciated him because he came in and he healed their sick. He raised their dead. He drove out demons out of their kids and set them free. That's in the Bible. And they, by and large, liked him. Who hated Jesus from the very beginning? The Pharisees hated him. Listen, when when I use the word hate, they hated him to the degree they wanted to murder him. So it wasn't like they just disliked him. It wasn't like, well, this guy gets on my nerves. Okay, it wasn't like that. It was like, let's plot and scheme. How are we going to physically murder him and remove him? They hated it. The Pharisees were the religious people of Christ's day, and there's religious Pharisees of this day and age right now. I don't understand for the life of me, because most people in America are literate, and I'm not trying to be smart, Alec. I'm really not, but it's so clear in the Bible. Things like tongues being of the Holy Spirit. Do you see what I'm saying? It's so clear. It, it's not like it's some obscure verse somewhere hidden. I mean, it's right there, friend. Very clear. Very very clear to read. But yet you have people that have such a religious spirit on them and it's got such deep roots down in them that they sit back and they say that it's demonic. And they hate the move of God. They say tongues are of the devil. They say these manifestations are of the devil. How could anybody be that deceived? And the scary thought is this Jesus said, You'll be forgiven for blaspheming the Father. You'll be forgiven for blaspheming me. But he said, If you speak against the Holy Spirit, you won't be forgiven. And these people are speaking against the Holy Spirit. They really don't have a problem with man because, you know what? I may go through and pray for people. I can't, myself, I can't really do much for you. But if I'm praying for you and God decides to touch you, and you fall out or you get healed or whatever, that's God touching you. That's not me. Alright, here's the thing. When God touches you, the problem people have is not really with the person, even though they'll take it out on them, but it is really with God. Whenever you deal with a religious spirit, an antichrist spirit, they use the scriptures. They use the Bible to twist it and to begin to try to use the scriptures themselves to stifle the move of God. They're under such an influence of a counterfeit spirit that to them, if they think it's the Holy Spirit, but it's not. And they're using the scriptures now, God's holy word, to actually be in opposition to the Holy Spirit. Do you really think that God would write this Bible and use it to oppose himself? When the Bible clearly says that it was written as the Holy Spirit moved upon men of old and they wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's supernatural. It's a, it's, the Bible is supernatural. Okay, It's filled with revelation. It's alive. Do you really think God wrote that thing and then to turn around and resist the Holy Spirit with it? So then God's not the problem here. It's the people that are using the Bible. They're misusing it to oppose the move of God and to resist the Holy Spirit and to quench him. And what you got to understand is this religious spirit is all about legalism. It's the traditions of men and it wants to shut down any move of God and make everything just like a social country club feel. Remove the power of God. The Antichrist spirit is against God's power. It's not against necessarily preaching, but it's against the power of God. That's why that spirit has taken so much ground in our church today, around this nation, around the world, certainly not here, but in many places, because they won't even let God move anymore. You say, well, God can do whatever He wants to do, but He won't. Yeah, He can do whatever He wants to do, but He won't. He'll do what he's asked to do and what he's welcome to come do. He's not going to come in there and fight with everybody that doesn't want him there in the first place. God's order is not man's order. Well, I'm telling you, you guys need to really prepare people for revival. I mean, when you take people to revival, it's not a typical church service. <laughs> That's right you got to understand, it's really not. I'm not trying to be funny. It's not like, okay, the preacher's going to get up and he's going to do this little ritual and this. He's going to say this. We're all going to stand and do this. And then we're going to go do this and then go home. It's not like that. It's like God comes in and anything goes. But see, God's order is not man's order. God's order is going to be confusing to people that don't understand when God's in control. When you're in revival services, I've seen, you know, like a Rodney Howard Brown meeting, it, you'll sit there and it's it's hilarious because the power of God just falls. And you've got Sister So-and-so over here that's laughing hysterically. you got this guy over here that's shaking like there's no way he could do that on his own. It has to be God. He's shaking violently. And you've got this person over here that's fell off their pew on the ground. And it looks like pandemonium, but in reality, bless his heart, Brother Rodney's just standing there. <laughs> Touch him, Jesus. You know, and all this stuff's happening. What's happening is this God showed up, and God is touching people. Yes. Amen. And it's God's order. And if people have a problem with it, they need to ask themselves in a very genuine way why do I have a problem with the Holy Spirit? When the Holy Spirit is God, and when He comes, He's going to do what He wants to do, He's going to touch people. Why would I have a problem with the Holy Spirit? But some people really do. They can't stand the Holy Spirit. They they hate the move of God. And, And one of the things that people will kill for many times is their religion. But you know what? True Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with God. And please remember that because that's the truth. True Christianity is not a religion. Religion is man's counterfeit of trying to find God. Christianity is God coming down to find you. Religion is trying to find some God through an avenue that man has created. When God said, I will not accept anybody unless they come through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, I will not accept them. That's what he says. And that's the love of God. That's the loving God that was willing to become a man and die on a cross for us. But he said this is the only way. You know, whenever people come to Jesus, what happens is is that they're born again, but also the blood of Jesus washes away all their sin like a spiritual soap. It just washes away all that pollution. But that's the only way that you can be spiritually clean. You cannot be spiritually clean by going in there and spending your little prayer wheel at the Hindu temple. You can't be spiritually clean by going in the Buddhist temple and bowing before the little thing and saying your little chant. And That's not going to make you spiritually clean before God. It's really not. It'll make you more dirty, actually. What makes you spiritually clean is to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a spiritual cleansing. But understand, God's order is not man's order. So when God comes into a place and he starts touching people, man is going to be out of control. Do you guys remember that outcry the Holy Spirit fell so hard? We were up, well, okay, let me, most of them he does. Back at the gym, that one, whenever we had that fire tunnel and everybody was all over the ground everywhere. All right. So all we were doing was standing there and just praying for people, Jesus touched. And people were all over the ground Everywhere for like an hour. I mean a lot of people Uh, And and it seemed like in the natural that we were totally out of control because I mean we were just standing there You'd have this person over here manifesting a demon as it came out of them Somebody over here getting healed people over here laughing people over here crying Someone over here shaking and it was just like it seemed like pandemonium But it was God's order as he was coming to heal and set people free, it was not man's order. But see, man, a lot of times, wants to be a control freak and control everything. But we've got to let God move and do what he wants to do. How many knows that people that are control freaks, that's annoying, isn't it? Can you imagine how God feels? You know, we get annoyed with one person. Here's God in heaven saying, I want to come visit my people And you've got 200,000 control freaks all over the world at one time that don't want God to move in their church. I'm going to be in control. Nothing's getting out of order here today. Remember the fruit of a religious spirit is critical, fault-finding, judgmental, debating, and cynical. Many fear being out of control and letting God be in control. But we've got to trust God. When he comes and he moves, just trust him to touch people and do what he wants to do. Then you look after the service. It looked like crazy pandemonium, okay? Everybody got touched by God. Everybody's happy. Everybody's just thrilled now. And so then you ask people after the service, well, what happened? And they start telling you all these testimonies. If I had this encounter with the Lord, I'll never be the same. God healed me on the inside. I was was so abused when I was a kid. Now I'm totally free. I used to hate. Now I'm full of love. Or they say, you know, I had this sickness and now it's gone. I had this encounter with God. My life is totally transformed. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit showing up. You can't get that by sermons. You can't get that by psychology. There's people that sit on these, um, this nice leather sofa of the psychologist's office for years. Telling their problems and paying good money to do it. And really are making very little progress. Whereas the Holy Spirit shows up in a church service... They may say some little scream hit the ground, and you're like, okay, well, God touched him, go on. And then they get up and they say, years of counseling, nothing really significant happened, but tonight I'm free. Why? Because the Holy Spirit healed them. When God shows up, He brings a fresh anointing and empowerment. But what people got to understand, I'm going to start moving this down. I want to close with talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But what people got to understand is when they dishonor and resist the Holy Spirit, they're cutting themselves off from the very grace that they need to stand in these last days. And the extra oil that they need to be ready for the rapture. They're cutting themselves off from the very one who is going to keep them in these last days. God the Father, I got news for you. He's in heaven. Jesus is seated at his right hand. He's coming one day, but he ain't here now. So, who is it that's with you and in you? The Holy Spirit. He's the very one who's going to sustain you in these last days. He's the very one that's going to keep you from being deceived. And I could read this whole thing, but it talked about the, the parable of the ten virgins. All ten of them were virgins. Please hear me. Five were foolish, five were wise. The five foolish virgins were not ready for the Lord's coming. The five wise virgins were ready. Why? Because they had extra oil. It's the extra oil that prepares people for Christ's coming. What's the oil? It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So for us to be ready for Christ's coming, this parable of the ten virgins, all ten of them were virgins. This is speaking to God's people. But only half of them were ready. Now wouldn't wouldn't it be something if this teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ was in fact a prophetic word that only half of those that profess Christianity will be ready for the rapture when He comes. He's going to come like a thief in the night. People are not going to be expecting it. It's going to come out of left field. There's going to be this shofar blast and a catching away, and only half are ready. Honestly, in the day we live, that wouldn't surprise me. But Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 13, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Those that are going to be ready for the rapture is this. You remember Noah. He was a picture and type of the rapture. When the wrath of God was coming down on the earth through rain, Noah and his family lifted up above the earth. And then when the wrath of God subsided, they came back down. That's a picture and type of the rapture. When the wrath of God is coming down on the earth, those that are right with God, his true bride that have made themselves ready, those people will be caught up with him. And then... Whenever the wrath of God subsides, they'll come back down to the earth with him. But see, what was it about Noah? Noah was a righteous man in a wicked generation. If you're not going to live righteous, you're not going to be ready for his coming. The second thing was Enoch. The Bible says he habitually walked with God. That's the Amplified. He walked with God habitually. And then one day, he was just raptured out of that those that have a strong prayer life that walk with God will be ready for the rapture. The third person that was raptured, so to speak, Noah, it was symbolic, but honestly, Enoch was raptured out of here. And so was Elijah in a fiery chariot. He was raptured right out of here. Elijah, what what earmarked his life? The anointing, the fire. So you see, with Noah, righteousness, with Enoch, a strong prayer life, with Elijah the anointing, the extra oil. For us to be ready for Christ coming at the rapture, we've got to be righteous, we've got to have a strong prayer life, and we've got to have extra oil. So let me close with this about the baptism in the Holy Spirit because I believe that God wants to touch people tonight with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So did everybody get that? I want to be ready for the rapture. Okay? Satan has been working very hard to try to downplay the teaching of the rapture. And unfortunately, it's taken a lot of ground. There's there's a lot of people who don't even believe in it anymore. And not only are they um, questionable how ready they're going to be, but we need to be teaching about these things so that people will be ready. Amen? Alright, so the baptism in the Holy Spirit... is a clothing of power after you get saved then you're a candidate now to be baptized in the holy spirit the baptism of the holy spirit is a what a clothing of power once you're clothed with power then the gifts of the spirit begin to work in your life just real fast romans 12 lists these different gifts and it seems to be the gifts of the father when you get born again things like encouragement servanthood contributing to the needs of other administration Then you have the gifts of Ephesians 4.11, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, which seem to be the gifts that come on the church of the leadership. That's from Jesus. So you have the gifts in Romans 12 that seem to come from the Father, in my opinion. The gifts from Jesus, which is Ephesians 4.11. But then you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You've got the vocal gifts, tongues, interpretation, prophecy. You've got revelation gifts. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, discerning of spirits. You've got the power gifts, faith, healing, and miracles. Those are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They kick in when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and clothed with power. So what does that look like? It looks like, book of Acts, Christianity, Acts chapter 2. The rushing mighty wind came in. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. People thought they were drunk. Now how do drunk people act? Stagger, fall down, laugh, cry. Welcome to the day of Pentecost. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit according to Acts 2.39 is for everybody. There's not like a limited group. Like, okay, in each church, I'll be willing to baptize 30 people. (laughs) That's not the way it is. God says, I will baptize anybody that wants it. It's for all, okay? And the prayer language is for all. That's where people don't understand. Okay. Mark sixteen seventeen through 18, what did Jesus himself say? These signs will follow them that believe in my name. Now, who does it follow? Them that believe. That's everybody that believes, okay? Everybody that believes. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will what? Speak in new tongues. Lay hands on the sick and they'll recover and it goes on about supernatural protection. But they will speak in new tongues. That's for everybody. That's everybody. When Jesus said for all that believe, he wasn't just saying for some people your prayer language, everybody needs a prayer language. But that is different than the First uh, Corinthians 12 gifts of the Spirit where it has to do with a message in tongues publicly for the church to be edified with an interpretation. That's a gift that not everybody necessarily has. Everybody has a prayer language or should have one but not everybody is going to be gifted to give a public message in tongues and an interpretation did you get that but we need the gifts of the spirit there's an awesome power in the gifts of the spirit man my belief is this there's nowhere in the bible that says that once you're baptized in the holy spirit that's it buddy you got it you'll never have it again you know that's the end of it for the rest of your life you've been baptized in the holy spirit there's nowhere it says that I believe that you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. I do. I believe you can be filled with the Spirit every day. I believe that, that God can touch you fresh every day. You have a fresh anointing every day. It's not like there's this one time in your life that God touched you, and that's it. Be happy. That's not biblical. You read over and over about what you read over and over about the early church getting filled with the Spirit fresh. They were touched fresh from heaven. And many of y'all know Catherine Kuhlman, you know She said before every um, meeting she had, the Lord would baptize in her Holy Spirit fresh for that meeting. How many want a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit? Amen. A fresh anointing. To be filled today fresh. That's why Peter and John could do the things that God used them to do. They stood up before the Sanhedrin of their day, which could have them killed. And they fearlessly preached the gospel. Why? Because the Bible says Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, lifted up his voice, and spoke boldly. But it took the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that wasn't just something that happened once in his life. It was a regular occurring thing in his life. We can have more. We need more. But people that were baptized in the Holy Spirit in Scripture, of course we know the early church on Acts chapter 2 were baptized in the Holy Spirit. What about the Samaritan believers I talked about earlier? They were saved under Philip. Peter and John came. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. What about Cornelius' household? While Peter preached the gospel to them, they believed. They believed the gospel. They accepted Jesus Christ. Then what happened? The Holy Spirit fell on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. and, and, And the same thing happened as what happened on the day of Pentecost. So I imagine some of them were laughing and crying, shaking and falling, just like on the day of Pentecost. Because the Jewish people saw what was going on and were surprised that this happened to the Gentiles because they said, this is the same thing that happened to us. in in the upper room and it's happening to them the believers in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 when Paul walked into Ephesus and he met these believers and he said have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed and they said we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit he said well then what baptism and they said we have John's baptism and Paul said John baptized with water preparing you for Christ and while Paul talked to him it says they believed in Christ so they were born again See, people make born again something, born again is something from God, okay? Somebody can be listening to me talk right now and can believe. And while they believe, they can be born again right now. There doesn't have to be some ritual. Let's all make it a ritual. You've got to do this, this, and this, and this to be saved. That's religious. God can save somebody right now as they hear the gospel and believe. So while Paul was talking to them, they believed and they were saved. But then Paul, it said he laid his hands on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Also, the Apostle Paul, the Lord Jesus appeared to him and had the nerve to knock that man off his donkey (laughs) on the ground and blinded him. God dealt roughly with him, but he was persecuting the church, okay? He was, you imagine he's just riding his donkey along, all of a sudden, this bright light, he's thrown to the ground anyway he, he has a vision jesus appears to him and says why are you persecuting me we know the story he was blinded and he had to be led by the hand and he was sent to ananias house now listen when ananias laid hands on him what happened scales fell off his eyes he could see and he was filled with the spirit he was baptized in the holy spirit and it may not say it in this passage it says it in most others but we know that paul was baptized in the holy spirit and spoke in spoken tongues because later Paul himself says, I pray in tongues more than you all. So let me close with the benefits of praying in tongues. Did you know it was prophesied that we would speak in tongues? Isaiah 28 verse 11. The Bible says, indeed, he will speak to this people through stammering lips and an unknown tongue. It was prophesied that we would speak in tongues. And this is what I want to close with. I want to pray for people. Number one, you utter mysteries. Where do we get great revelation? Some of you are called into the ministry especially. You need to hear me. You need to pray in the Spirit. Take the Apostle Paul's example. He said, I pray in tongues more than you all. Let there be a time where you pray in the Spirit. You know, some of you, you drive to work. Why not spend that time driving to work praying in the Spirit? When you have time in your personal prayer life, pray in the Spirit. Let me tell you this. Praying in the spirit is where the Holy Spirit is praying through you. And it's something that comes from your inner spirit man. Your mind does not understand what you're saying because it's a heavenly language. But your spirit man, the Holy Spirit is praying through you. You're a vessel. And the Bible says when you pray in tongues that you utter mysteries. And people say, well, where does this deep revelation come from? I hear preachers preach. How did they get that? Where did that come from? I guarantee you it's praying in the Spirit. Because when you pray in the Spirit, revelation comes. The next thing is, we know that the Holy Spirit prays through us the perfect will of God, Romans 8, 26. We don't know how to pray a lot of times. But the Holy Spirit knows exactly how to pray. So the Holy Spirit will pray through you the perfect will of God. another major benefit to praying in tongues is it's part of your armor. A lot of people don't even know that. In Ephesians 6, it lists the helmet, the breastplate, the shield, the sword. It lists the belt of truth and the shoes of peace. And what? And it says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. That's in the same passage. Why? Because it is a part of warfare too. That it's a powerful thing to pray in the Spirit. It's part of your armor and it's a part of spiritual warfare. It sharpens your discernment. People say, I want to be more sensitive. How do you discern these things? Pray in the Spirit and it sharpens you spiritually. It sharpens you where you can see things. It builds up your most holy faith. People say, well, how can I believe God? How can I believe God for things? How can my faith increase? I know faith comes by hearing the Word, but I'll tell you another way faith comes. It comes by praying in the Spirit. The Bible says we speak in tongue of men and angels The tongue of angels is a heavenly language, and a heavenly language is not something that the kingdom of hell is going to be understanding. These are benefits of praying in tongues. Many times when prophetic words go out, the enemy hears it, and they begin to try to resist that word. Whenever you you preach or pray certain things, the enemy starts trying to resist that. But when you pray in tongues, the enemy has no idea what you're saying, as long as you're praying in a heavenly language. Also, you're strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit in your inner man. The Lord begins to sanctify you. People say, you know, James said this, how can fresh water and salt water come out of the same vessel? It can't. So how can the, the foul mouth and, you see what I'm saying? And the Lord says, if we pray in tongues, I believe that there's a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that's going on. And God starts purifying you. He starts purifying your heart, purifying your thought life and your mouth. Another thing is it refreshes and strengthens us because the Bible says it edifies us. And edify implies being recharged like you would recharge a battery. How many guys have prayed in tongues for a while and you felt that? You felt an inner strength like you were being charged. Also, Jesus himself said it's true worship. Those that worship will worship in spirit and in truth. That's why it's so powerful. Many times we'll be just worshiping in the spirit, worshiping tongues. It's straight from your spirit, spirit to spirit, deep calling to deep. It's straight to God. It's, It's spirit worship. And it's powerful. You can tell when people begin to worship in the spirit. It's just the atmosphere. It's just so powerful. And true intercession for what we don't know. I've heard many of these stories. I'll tell two real quick, and then we're going to pray. Reinhard Bonke had drank some bad water in Africa or something. He was dying, got very sick. He was very young. And there was a woman that God woke up in the middle of the night. She didn't know what was going on, but she had such a burden to pray for him. And she began to pray in the Spirit because she didn't know what going on. She was just praying in the Spirit and praying in the Spirit. She interceded for however long, an hour or two, until finally she felt it was done. Reinhardt said he was literally so sick it was being sick unto death but he said he miraculously recovered now what would have happened if young Reinhardt Bonnke who was at that time very young if he had died what would have died with him but God used an intercessor to pray until something happened Kenneth Hagin said he was laying in his bed one night in California all of a sudden out of nowhere he said he just felt the Lord touch him like a jolt. And he sat up in bed and he knew something was desperately wrong. And he began to pray. He didn't know what was going on. But he said he just began to pray in tongues. He said he prayed in tongues for an hour. And then at the end of that, he began to to laugh the joy of the Lord. And that's a, that's a good sign. When you pray and you intercede, but then you feel it move into joy, that means you got the victory. Okay. He felt the joy hit him and he knew it's done. So he went to sleep. When he went to sleep, he had a dream. In the dream, there was his brother who got very sick, and the ambulance came and took him to the hospital. This is in the dream. And in the dream, his brother died. And he was in the foyer area, and the doctor came out and told him, said, your brother just passed away. And Kenneth Hagin, in the dream, told the doctor he's not dead. And the doctor got mad and said, I'll show you. And so they went in there, and they pulled the sheet back, and the brother was there, and the brother opened his eyes and looked at him, the doctor freaked out. And then this was all a dream, And later, he came back into town. This was way before the days of cell phones, so they didn't talk, okay? And he saw his brother, and his brother told him, I almost died while you were out of town. And uh, Brother Kenneth Hagin said, I know, I had a dream about it. But see, God knew that his brother was on his deathbed, and God used Kenneth Hagin to pray in the Spirit, the perfect will of God, until that attack against his life broke, and he was literally raised up off a deathbed. What would have happened if Brother Kenneth refused to get up and pray? He said, nah, I'm tired. His brother could have died. with fire. Let it be released tonight we pray in the mighty name of Jesus.